The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Acts chapter 13, verse number 13. Now when Paul and his company, loose from Paphos, that's down in Cyprus, they came to Pergia of Pamphylia, and John, that's John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now, that's different than the Antioch they were sent out of. It's, it's, we'll see it on the map in a little bit. And went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So they, they invite it. All right. Is there anyone that would like to, to come up here and preach a mini-message? That's exactly, what was, that's exactly what was going on, all right? Uh, that, that's the, the mentality. And so they, they were inviting Paul and Barnabas to say that. Say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought, them out, uh, brought he them out of it. Verse 18, and about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. They're murmuring, they're complaining. Verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided the land to them by lots. And after that, he gave them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, he desired, uh, they desired a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Sis a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he removed him, and when he removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill how much? All my will. I mean, just, just lock that away in your mind. Verse 23, of this man's seed, Hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus? When John had preached first, John the Baptist had preached first before the coming, um, before the, coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, I'm not Jesus, but, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to who you is this word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Condemning Jesus. Verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when uh, they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, the cross, and laid him in a sepulcher. But God, but God raised him from the dead. But God, but God raised him from the dead. Now, the whole reason we're here today is because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Do you realize that is the foundation of our Christianity? But God raised them from the dead. And God's people said, 
Amen. Verse 31, And he was seen many days of them which came up from, uh, with him from Galilee, talking about his disciples, other people, to Jerusalem, which are witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalms, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another Psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, he died, and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Jesus saw no corruption. Verse 38, be it known unto you. Therefore, men and brethren, that through the, this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe, all that believe are justified from how many things? Hallelujah. Now think of your past. He says, made right from all of your things, all of them. Verse number 39, continuing, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which was spoken in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonder and perish, for I will work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, notice the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. We want more. We want more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. And I pray that this message that Paul preached, uh, Lord, obviously with your, your anointing, I pray that it would just ring so true in our hearts, that it would bring rejoicing to our lives even this morning. And I pray, uh, Lord, I, I imagine there's, there's some folks here that, that need to receive you as their Savior. And I pray for them. I pray that you would open their understanding. By your spirit, Lord, would you convince them of your, you, their sin, of your righteousness, and of our accountability before you. And Lord, I pray for each believer. I pray that we would firmly grasp what you have given to us in our salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And we'll give you praise this morning for all that you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. You know, good news is pretty rare these days, right? Uh, but there's always good news inside of Scripture. I'm telling you what, the Bible is precious. It is really precious. And uh, I, I personally feel like the Lord continues to just open it up more and more, and uh, it becomes more relevant. Uh, Psalm 2, very relevant these days. Why do the heathen rage? Why? Well, that was a question asked thousands of years ago. Imagine a vain thing. Why? Well, they despise God. You know... When I look into the word of God and I realize that God in a moment can change a heathen mind um, by what Jesus Christ did, and he can convince a heathen mind of his goodness and of his salvation. And what we're dealing with right here is Paul and Barnabas are continuing on a ministry tour, a missions tour, their first missionary journey. And God uses Paul. Now notice they go out, Barnabas and Paul, 
And Paul's the one that in this moment stands up and preaches, and God is anointing him and, and, and placing him as the preacher. And the message that we just read, I don't know about you, but my heart soars as I read through that. Now remember, he in a moment, I'm sure he was prepared in his mind, but he in a moment walks into that synagogue and is called from the floor and he preaches that message. Uh, does that not ring uh, true of what it says in the book of Peter that we're to be ready always with an answer? Always? You know it wasn't popular? You know, by and large, I can open up the Bible in here and, and preach truths from it, and by and large, it's, it's popular. There might be one or two or three that disagree with something. But the fact of the matter is, Paul was inside of a synagogue where he knew full well this was going to go against the grain. And you look at the last verse there, the Jews left, but who was the ones that, that said, hey, we want to hear more? It was Gentiles. And we'll get to that in the next time that we're together in this. But I want us to draw some context to, in the first couple of verses. Notice in verse number 13 how that they travel from Cyprus. If you'll give us the map and allow us to uh, lay some groundwork here. They travel from down at Paphos, down at Cyprus, the island there in the Mediterranean. They travel all the way up to Perga. Now remember, they brought John Mark as a young man, and he is, a, is being mentored in the ministry. So he's not a preacher at, at this time. He's, not, he's, not, he's, he's just an assistant to Paul and Barnabas. So he's being mentored in the ministry. So they get all the way up to Perga. Uh, I'm imagining somewhere in the neighborhood of about, I didn't check this ahead of time, probably about 150 to 200 miles uh, of, of, of voyage there. So they're traveling up there. They get all the way up to Perga. And something happened along the way. I, I don't know what. The Bible doesn't give indication other than later on Paul talks about him leaving. And Paul had very, very, uh, very, very firm opinions about John Mark and his leaving at this point. It seems that he kind of left the missions team high and dry. It, it wasn't a good situation. Later on, God restored him and Paul actually wanted to take him along. But at, at, at that point, he, he left, and he goes all the way back down to Jerusalem. I mean, we're talking, we're talking many, many miles that he goes back home, and he goes back to, uh, to, the, uh, to the city of Jerusalem. So this has happened up in Perga and Pamphylia, and then they move up to um, Antioch of, of Pisidia. And so that is where you see that at the top of the map there, and you see the Antioch they were sent out of. This is Antioch in Pisidia. So uh, there are two uh, Antiochs in, in the scriptures. So that's where they are. That's where they go into a synagogue, a place of Jewish worship on the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath day? It was Saturday. Why do we worship on Sunday? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on, on the first day of the week. And because we are believers, we gather together on this day. This is the, as John said in the book of Revelation, the Lord's Day. So we've gathered together in this day commemorating the resurrection of our Savior. So we no longer worship on the Sabbath. We worship on, on, on the Lord's Day. And here, I want to say this, it, still the principle of the Sabbath is, is very good for us to observe. God worked six days and he rested what? On the seventh. He rested, he reflected, and did God need rest? No, but he set a pattern for us one day and seven. So we worship on the Lord's Day. And so he's in this synagogue. They're, they're doing their thing. They see these travelers come through town, and they offer them an opportunity to speak. 
I imagine the, the one who offered him the opportunity uh, was wishing about halfway through that he had not offered Paul the opportunity. Don't you think? Are you with me on that? I'm imagining it's like, oh boy, uh, what is going on now? I'm going to have to refute this. I'm going to be in trouble. And, and it, you can imagine the, the interpersonal struggle that was going on there. But what Paul gets into is he gets into helping them understand the plan for the Messiah. He's talking to Jewish people. There were Gentile people mixed in. But he's helping them understand the plan of God for the Messiah to them. And how that God worked through hundreds and thousands of years of human history to bring the Messiah to them in that generation. And really, as we take a step back and realize, if God did that and fulfilled his promise in bringing the Messiah into the world and fulfilled it in that generation, and he worked so carefully, as we see in this message, so carefully to accomplish that, can we not be encouraged and inspired in our heart that God's still working in our day to accomplish the mission of the Messiah? God has not lost his mission. He's not lost track of what he wants us to do. Our mission has not changed. As we learned last week, the church rises above conflict, rises above social pressures, rises above political anxieties, rises above all these things. It, it, it influences them, and it should influence the, on these things because we're people of truth in a world full of error. Right? So believers are not isolated from what's going on down here. We just walk above that. We live on a higher plane in this mission of the church, the mission of the Messiah. And so Paul begins to help them understand in verses 13 through 25, he begins to help them understand the preparation that God made for the Messiah. Notice that with me, the preparation that was made. First of all, notice that God chose a people. God chose a people, and those people are Israel, and still today, they're God's chosen people. Don't you believe that? All five of you. Hey, listen, friends, bless Israel. And I say that often, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an important point. Uh, we are to bless Israel, and they're God's chosen people. And so notice what God says, not a man, not a political figure, but God, the God of this people, of Israel, chose our fathers and exalted them when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So what's happening here? God chose these people. And I want us to help us understand, when did God begin to make, make known that it was going to be a, a chosen people? Back with Abraham. Genesis chapter number 12, when he first un, un, unveiled to Abraham that he would be the father of many, a great nation. He reiterates the covenant in Genesis chapter 15. So you'll notice, I'm going to bring us along on a timeline so you can follow along here, all right? And uh, if you get, wait till you get to the last slide, you can snap a picture of that and you can, you can go back and study it some more. But Abraham would have, uh, uh, would have lived, would have been born around 2166 B.C. And so we have this time where God begins to work. Now, when did Jesus come? He was born around 380. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the point. We, we begin, the calendar changes. And so, 2,000 plus years ahead of Christ's coming, God is saying, hey, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a promised deliverer into the world to deliver you from your sins. He even promised that back in the garden, but he, he chose to do this through Abraham. So, he chose Abraham. Uh, he, he selected them for a purpose. Uh, he exalted them when they were in bondage in Egypt some 400 years in slavery and in bondage in the world. Doesn't that, isn't that a picture of our lives? Are not the people of this world in bondage to Satan? Are not their eyes darkened? 
Are they not blinded? Absolutely they are. But God lifted them out. Did they lift them out? No, God, by a high arm, he lifts them out. And so Israel was chosen as a channel of blessing and as a light to the nations. God intended for them to be the the first evangelists or the first missionaries in the world. And he says in Isaiah 49, verse number 6, uh, and he, God said, it is, a light, is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. God, by selecting Israel, was not planning or did not design that the rest of the world would live in darkness, but that through Israel the rest of the world would be enlightened. They would understand truth. So grab a hold of that. That is so very important. And that's an important, uh, 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 very helpful thing as you process what's going on in the New Testament. It seems like God's, or Old Testament, it seems like God's forgetting the rest of the people. No, 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 no. It was through Israel that God was intending to bring the message of salvation to the rest of the people. It was, think about Jonah. It was through Israel that God wanted Nineveh to be saved. And so over and over, that is the the message. They were to be the example. They were to be the witness in the world. God delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them from the world so that they could be witnesses to the world. Does that not sound familiar in our lives? Are you not to be delivered from the world by Jesus Christ in order to be his witnesses in the world? Over and over, we see the same theme going throughout Scripture over and over. So he chose Israel. Israel struggled to obey God. And Paul begins to lay this out. He says, hey, you're God's chosen people. You were chosen for a reason, but there's been some struggles along the way. Verses 18 through 20, God's consistent patience. And about the time, 40 years, they saw, he suffered them in the wilderness. So what's going on there? God brings them out of, out of, the, out of Egypt. He delivers them, and what do they do? When it's time to go into the promised land and receive the promise of God, this land that he had provided for them, they go, oh, the giants are too big. You know, the giants of despair and the, the giants of my past and the giants of, and, and they just throw up all these, we can't do that. They had no faith. They doubted God. They chose to live in disbelief, and God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until a whole generation of People who had been delivered by the mighty hand of God out of Egypt, he allowed that whole generation to die off. And a new generation is uh, uh, raised up and they go into the promised land, uh, winning a great, a, a great um, um, victory over the enemies. And it says that God destroyed, God worked through them, God destroyed seven nations uh, they're in the land of Canaan, including stories like Jericho. And so they're in the, the promised land. God has divided it up by lot. And after that, he gave them judges. So he is providing them, his people, judges. Now, wh- why was that important? Because they began to look at other people, and rather than being a witness to other nations, they began to adopt the culture and the mindset and the philosophy of other nations and began to adopt the idolatry of other nations. Same thing happens today. 
Christians begin to look, oh, Hollywood looks pretty good. That thought process looks pretty good. I like that health, wealth, and prosperity uh, type of thinking. Uh, I like the, the, the God of convenience, and, and we begin to adopt all this stuff. That's what they were doing. And so they would go into bondage. They didn't need to. They would go into a bondage once again, and God would send a judge, a deliverer, to deliver them. For 450 years, God went through this cycle over and over and over again. 450 years. And you, you see that on, on the timeline there. 450 years, God is showing his patience with his people. Paul's laying this all out. This is all key to the understanding of where the Messiah came from. Then it ended with Samuel. Do you realize the Bible opens up in 1 Samuel chapter number 3 and verse number 1. These words, this chapter has gripped me for years. The first verse of 1 Samuel chapter 3 in verse number 1, it says, it talks about Samuel, it talks about Eli, this, this, pre, uh, this uh, priest before God. And it talks about Samuel and it says this, and there was no open vision. There was no clear word from God. From God. They were living in a time as God's people, as delivered from Egypt, as having been delivered over and over by judges, by deliverers. God sent deliverers like Samson and Gideon and these, the, these amazing judges that God would raise up. They were living in spiritual bondage. They weren't hearing the word of God. By the way, the way for you to stay out of spiritual bondage as a believer the way to stay out of the traps of the world as a believer is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you are not in the word of God, you can expect to be going into bondage. Maybe that's just what you need to, you need to make a recommitment today. Lord, this week, I need to, uh, please allow me to be in the word of God. Help me not to, to uh, make this just something I, I take for granted. Be in the word of God. And so we, we see that, that in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 21, it ends the verse as Samuel was very sensitive to the voice of God. Eli was not. Samuel's very sensitive, waking up in the middle of the night as a young boy, probably under the age of 10, hearing the, word of, hearing the Lord, and finally coming to the Lord and saying, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. As a young boy, think about that. In a whole society, there were men everywhere, but no one was listening for the word of God except a little boy someone who is sensitive to God. And at the end there, it says, and the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of God. Don't discount the kids. We have generations who have been deaf to the word of God and to sensitivity to the spirit. Oh, that God would bring a sweep and revival across the church. Oh, that God would bring a sweep and revival across our church, as, as young people, are sensitive to the word of God. It was in that moment Samuel began to be the prophet, where God would raise him up to be the one who he could finally get a message to the rest of his people through. Because no one else was listening. Samuel was key. <laughs> you see the long-suffering of our God? People say, well, well, God just came down on him. No, 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 no. 450 years, God went through this cycle with them. How many years in our lives have we done the same thing over and over and over again, the same besetting sin, and God still just gently and tenderly works with us? 
Israel began to grow discontent as they looked around. Samuel, boy, they were happy with Samuel. Samuel was, was encouraging them as he gets a little further in his life. His own sons were, were struggling in their, their own walk with the Lord. And, and, and the people began to back off and, and began to look at the other nations again. Well, they got a king. They got a champion who goes out and fights for them. They got a fearless leader. They don't just have this judge thing. They, uh, they don't just have a prophet thing. They don't just have a preacher uh, uh, leading and encouraging them along. They have a king. Give us a king too. They began to grow discontent. And do you know what God does? He provides them their wish. First of all, he allows them to choose. It says here, God, God chose. You go back and study it. He allowed them to make a choice. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you and I is for God to let us have our way. Be careful about kicking open doors that God said you're not to go through. They choose Saul. Samuel even told him exactly what was going to happen. He's going to take all your men and put them in the army. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to make you servants. He's going to raise taxes on you. He's going to do all this stuff. And they're like, no, give us a king. We want a champion. So God did. In 40 years' time, in a generation's time, it went downhill fast. They weren't so happy with that choice. After a while, this man ended up not seeking God anymore, elevating himself in severe pride, and even seeking wisdom from a witch. God's king over God's people seeking wisdom from a witch. Verse 22, look at it. And when he had removed him, let's not forget that God sets up kings and takes down kings. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, which also gave this testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, who shall fulfill all my, all my will. I think we, we skip over this, this account so easily in David's life. But you realize what was just said in hindsight on David's life, not in foresight, but in hindsight on David's life? Let's, let's, let's reiterate for, for a moment. David was an adulterer. We so glorify Scripture. But God says of David, in hindsight, in reflecting back on Scripture, that he fulfilled all his will. David was an adulterer with Bathsheba. He's married multiple times, which kings were not to do. He was a murderer. He murdered Uriah after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murders, he murders a, 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 one of his mighty men. He murders him so that he could have his wife. I mean, this sounds like the guy you want to be a Sunday school teacher, right? This sounds like the guy you want to be your, your, your king. This sounds like the guy you want to be your president. This sounds like the, the guy that you want in charge leading you. He's a, an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's arrogant. He begins to look around. Look, I got a pretty good army. Let's number the people, Joab. Let's see how many come back. We have about a million. Boy, we got power. What was he doing? Exalting his strength, his perceived strength, over the strength that God could supernaturally work through them. But God says that he's a man after mine own heart. 
You know, sometimes I think we forget the fact that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his will. I think sometimes we, we like to, we, we, in pride, arrogantly look at someone that God is using and say, but they're this, 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 and this, and so there's no way possible God can use them. How arrogant of us. God uses who he wants to use. And uh, more, than, more than worrying about uh, all that everyone else is doing, we must praise God for well, how God is using imperfect people to accomplish his will. Are you not imperfect? Am I not imperfect? Yes. And God carefully chose, carefully chose David, and God was working out his plan. God was working out his plan, not our plan, his plan to bring the Messiah into the world because it was through David's seed, David's family, that the Messiah would come. You mean the Messiah came through a, a sinful line? Yes, but he was born of a virgin, and he had no sin. But God used the, the line of David, and you can see that in, in the scriptures, how that, that is born out, and we'll see that in a moment. But God is still working out his plan to redeem sinful man back to himself. That's what he was doing here. He's still working out that plan. He's still accomplishing that today. Do not be uh, uh, do not be surprised when God uses men just like David to accomplish his will in this day. Don't be surprised that God uses things that are far beyond our imagination to continue to carry out the mission of the Messiah in this day. It's not going to always go the way that we think. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So yes, in 2020, God is still working out his plan. The Messiah is already here, but he's still accomplishing the will, the purpose of the Messiah, which will be to gather as many to himself and to be, bring as many into the kingdom as possibly can. And he tarries, he awaits his coming so that more can believe your neighbor. What if the rapture happens this week? Lord, just one more. Would you save my neighbor? Would you save my, my dad? Would you save my, you fill in the blank? He's still carrying out the mission of the Messiah in this day. Yes, in our country, he's carrying out the mission of the Messiah. He's carrying out his plan. He's still working. So Paul gives this history lesson that's really amazing because we go from Abraham all the way Jesus being born. He's crucified on the cross. They're touring 10 years later. They're touring declaring in a synagogue that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Isn't it amazing to see that we're not a part of something that just happened 400 years ago, a, a religion that just kind of popped up by the will of man, but we are a part of something that has a history of God at work in, our, in human society. Man, what, what an amazing thing. So the preparation, but the proclamation, he's, that was introduction for Paul. He wants to get to the proclamation, and notice what he says in verse 23. Of this man's seed, of David's seed, hath God, according to his promise, raised up Israel a Savior. Jesus. At that moment, I'm imagining the guy that's sitting off in the sideline, allowing Paul to speak, is like, oh boy. This wasn't the message that they were hearing inside the synagogues. Notice it says in Isaiah 1, 11 and verse number 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, a foretelling that Jesus would come from the, the, the tribe or the line of, of David, the line of Jesse there. Matthew 1 and verse number 1 opens up in this way, the book of the generation of Jesus, Christ, 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the, the promised Messiah, the one that came from God. And I want us just to realize God made good on his promise here. What he promised before in the Old Testament, he made good on his promise in a, uh, 3 AD when he sent Jesus Christ to be born as a helpless babe. I am so very grateful for that day. And though Herod would try to kill babies in order to annihilate Jesus, uh, he couldn't thwart what God was doing and working out in his life. So God makes good on his promises, and, the, and, and Paul is announcing that to these people. Hey, God has promised this. God is doing this. God is doing this work. But when, when God was about to unveil Jesus, he sent a forerunner. He sent a person into Israel to begin to declare the mighty works of God and declare a coming Messiah, and his name was John, John the Baptist. I uh, was talking with someone this week. Uh, what's this whole thing about John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey? He was just, just I, I enjoy going over into West Virginia. I love West Virginia. No offense to anyone from West Virginia. But, you know, back in, back in the mountains, he was just kind of a mountain type of dude. That was John the Baptist. He was a rugged, rugged man. Uh, if he were in this, uh, this day, he would have been wearing camo. Uh, he would have had the fish hook on his hat. He was just that kind of, he was that kind of guy. He was rugged. And uh, so he, he went about and he ate right from the earth. It was unfiltered, unprocessed. He ate right from the earth. Uh, there, hey, there's a locust, you know, pop one, good and crunchy. You know, that was, that was, that was John the Baptist. And so we find that there was preparation that happened for the Messiah in that generation. God sent a forerunner. He promised that, Malachi 3 and verse number 1, I will send a messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom uh, ye sh uh, seek shall suddenly come into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight, behold, uh, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 14, verse number 3, the voice of, the, of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight, uh, straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so he is preaching out in the wilderness. The religious crowd is coming out to see this, this guy who's out in the wilderness, eating all these crazy things, looks kind of crazy too. And, uh, and he is preaching this message of preparation for the coming Messiah. He's baptizing people along the way. Acts 13, verse number 24, when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to the people of Israel. What was going on? It is different than the baptism that we, uh, we uh, uh, follow today, believer's baptism, which is an outward declaration of an in, internal decision. I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That was a baptism unto repentance. It was a preparatory baptism. Uh, it was acknowledging the fact, I, I repent of my self-effort, and I am ready to receive. I, I recognize, I admit my need for a Messiah. So that was the point. Now, ceremonial baptisms were not uncommon in that day, so they would have understood that. But when, when the Pharisees and the religious rulers came out and saw this, that they were acknowledging, uh, they, they might... They wondered what was going on, but baptism wasn't something that was just really super peculiar to them. Uh, they realized the Messiah would come someday, right? But at the same time, they were not ready to receive the Messiah in Jesus Christ, and they did not receive him. They rejected him. And so he's out there. He is baptizing people who knew they needed a Messiah. By the way, if you're here today, you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ, your first step is realizing you need a Savior. 
right? That you are a sinner and that your sin does condemn you to eternal punishment away from God. You need a savior. You are hopeless in your sins. And so John was declaring, make straight the path. Change your posture. You think you're good enough? Change the posture of your thinking. He was calling on them to, to change, and that's exactly what the idea of, of make straight is the idea to change the posture. I do need. I do have a need. I'm not self-sufficient. I can't accomplish this on my own. So Paul picks up where John leaves off and begins to preach Christ. This is what you all have heard. You went out in the wilderness and heard this crazy man out there, this very eccentric, locust-eating, uh, you know, hairy, this, this, this backwoods type of guy preaching this amazing message of preparation for the gospel, and now I stand in this synagogue and I preach that same Christ to you. Now remember something about John. John was so humbled at his opportunity to be the forerunner to Christ, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. May we have the same spirit of John as we bring the gospel into this day. We're not worthy of God's grace. We're not worthy of Jesus Christ. We do not go out and tell people of Jesus uh, because we are, worth, uh, we are worthy of something or we, we are some great, uh, great person. We are sinners saved by grace. Are you with me this morning? We're sinners saved by grace. We deserve nothing. We do not deserve the grace of God. We go out there and invite them to experience the same grace that we have experienced. So Paul says, hey, I want you to know this Christ. In verse 26 through 37, Paul preached a message of salvation alone through Jesus Christ. He preaches Christ crucified in verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Israel, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. You right here, right before my eyes, you are the ones to whom this salvation has been sent. This message is for you. This message is for you. Aren't you thankful that message is for all men? Jew and Greek, it doesn't matter what your race is or your, uh, your homeland is. It doesn't matter uh, your social status or your economic status. It is for everyone. And he preaches this to that, to that, that group, uh, uh, that mixed group. And he preaches the crucif uh, crucifixion that Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, notice something. He spends much time explaining the crucifixion and the resurrection. But he spends much time, and he says in verse number 27, that they have fulfilled them in your ears. What? What? Every Sabbath day they would get together and they would read the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Be, oh, that's great. Amen. I don't know what they said in that day. Uh, I don't know whether they were quiet or whether they, they, they got into it, but they... They, they heard this every single week, week on end. The Messiah would come, he would be cut off, he would, he, would go, uh, he, would, he would die for our sins. They heard this week after week, and Paul says, it's been fulfilled what has been prophesied in the Psalms. It's been fulfilled in the condemning of him. And bringing him to the cross, it's all been fulfilled. The word has been fulfilled. And Pilate played right into it. And this was fulfilled when they took him down off the tree and laid him in a, sec, a, a sepulcher in a grave, in a, in a tomb. So the crucifixion of the Messiah had been repeatedly prophesied. They were reading the very words, yet they were too blinded by Satan and their own unbelief to accept that this had happened right before their very eyes. Psalm 22 and verse number 18, even the parting of his garments was prophesied. When the soldiers sat down while he was on the cross suffering, they sat down and they cast lots for his vesture, for his clothing, even that was prophesied. 
Psalm 22, the very words that Jesus would say on the, on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was prophesied. Isaiah 53 and verses 4 through 6, really that whole passage of Scripture, surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. It was all prophesied. Do you realize they would sit down in, in perhaps a room similar to this, though in, in, their, in their styling of that day, and they would listen to the prophets read. And they would hear about exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, yet they would refuse him. So they crucified the very one they would read about every, every Sabbath day. You know what that tells me? That we as human beings can have the truth right in front of us and not get it. And rather than condemn them or despise them for how they treated Christ, I think we ought to pray and ask God, God, help us to have our eyes clearly opened to your truth from your word. When we sit down in a room like this, you know there's believers in here? You can have the truth this close. And you've been struggling with bondage in your life for years on end. And you've had the truth preached and declared and declared to you Sunday after Sunday. And it's not getting through. And you wonder why the Christian life is powerless for you and you wonder why there's so much defeat, and you wonder, would you just pray something like the psalmist says, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law, Holy Spirit, would you guide me into all truth, help me to get a hold of what you want me to know from your word? This isn't about new truth, this is about the truth that's right in front of us. And it's been there for, for millennia. So they crucified him, you talk about an exciting read, but God. I love the but gods of scripture. But God raised him from the dead. Wow. They didn't see that coming. Now that had been prophesied too along the way. In fact, he, he goes to great length. Do you notice what Paul is doing? He's weaving scripture together. Would you not pray and ask God to give you the ability to weave Scripture together? Notice what he's saying here. He, he says, listen, the resurrection was also prophesied in the book of Psalms. Notice how much Paul is relying on the book of Psalms in this, in this, uh, this laying out of truth. He, he points out that it was said that the Holy One would not see corruption. He would not see decay. His body would not decompose. Do you realize that even, uh, even in Jewish time, they realized Lazarus, when Jesus showed up on the fourth day, they were like, he stinks, he's decomposing now. On the third day, it was the last day that they would gather around the tomb because on the fourth day, it was kind of over now. But before they even got to the fourth day, in their mindset, Jesus rose from the dead. He did not see corruption. The Bible helps us to see that Paul points out David saw corruption. He served his generation. He saw corruption. So what was this talking about? I ask you all, uh, sitting in the synagogue, what, what was the Bible talking about? And he's bringing them through a logical conclusion of, of truth that obviously this was talking about the Messiah. The Bible says, Acts 2, 24, whom God hath raised 
up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Romans 1 and verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God, which with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by, um, by the resurrection from the dead. And so he is unveiling to them, he rose from the dead. You know it. And all around that area, the religious leaders and the people would have been aware of the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the account of it, but the religious leaders refused to accept it because if they, if they would have accepted it, they would have had to also accept everything that Jesus Christ said. So they denied it. Acts 1 and verse number 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after the crucifixion, and that whole time period by many infallible proofs, undeniable proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He was seen in an audience of 500 people at one time. Not just two witnesses, but 500. Witnessing to the fact that Jesus is alive today and friends, he still is alive right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Is that not good news? He's alive. Hey, everything else might be going crazy in our world around us, but he is alive. And that is good news, and that's good news that we get to share with one another. Doesn't your coworkers need to hear that Jesus is alive? You say, well, they've heard it before. Hey, ask God to soften their hearts to the reality of the fact that Jesus is alive, and that has a major impact on how they can live their life. So what does this resurrection that Paul is preaching have to do with them in that day, and what does it have to do with us in 2020? Notice the pardon of the Messiah, verse 38. Be it known. Say that with me. Be it known. Good and loud. Be it known. What is Paul saying? He is commanding their attention. He's getting down to the application of this passage of Scripture, this message. Be it known. Know this is what he's saying. He's commanding it. Know this. Can I say the same to you? Know this. Oh, my pastor, I'm so anxious right now. Know this. I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity when I die. Know this. I don't know if all my sins are forgiven and, and I, I'm constantly wrestling with the, the guilt of my past. Know this, Paul's saying. Unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Pardon is provided through Jesus Christ. Pardon is not provided through a priest. Pardon is not provided through a sacrament. Pardon is not provided through good works. Pardon is not provided through Mary. Pardon is not provided through a church. Pardon is not provided through any system of good works, any system of religion, uh, any turning over of new lease. Well, I'll be a better Christian and a uh, better person in 2021. Pardon is not provided because you escaped a car accident. I don't know how many times in my life I've asked people, how do you know you're on your way to heaven? Well, because sometime God saved me from a car accident. Well, that's great. Perhaps he allowed you to be rescued from that situation so that you had more time to believe on him. It's not through some, super, you know, some, some event in your life. It is through this man, this man whose name is Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name uh, uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is your only Savior. There is none, and I have no problem in the world. That is a narrow, a narrow message. I have no problem in the world. The rest of the world says, all roads lead to God. That is the message of the universalist. Well, just be sincere in whatever you believe and you'll get there. No one practices that in following their maps. Just be sincere, and as long as you're, as you're uh, if you're traveling to California, as long as you're sincere, even if you're traveling towards New Hampshire, you'll get there. 
I mean, the stupidity of human arguments. So there is one way, and it is through Jesus Christ, that is the only way. So, understand this, pardon must be received. It's provided, and it's through Jesus Christ. It was provided at the cross. But it is through Jesus Christ, and it is on our part to believe, and notice what he says in verse number 39, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things. Let's say that first phrase together, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things. Believe is the idea to trust, to rely, to depend upon. Just uh, to be justified is the idea to, uh, to be made right or to be made righteous. So I want you to grab a hold of this. Many people say, well, I believe. But I want you to understand biblical belief and, and general belief or general faith. The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. Why? Because they know, they know it's true. But they don't act on it. So understand here, the first thing that we have to, we have to get in this belief process is I understand what the Bible is saying. That happens in our mind. We hear it. But then it needs to go to our heart. There needs to be an agreement and acknowledgement of truth. Heaven's in our heart, our, our, inner, our inner thinking. Oh, yeah, I am a sinner. I, I do need Jesus Christ. And so we be, begin to believe that he is the only way to heaven, that it's not just something I know in my mind and I, I give verbal assent to or mental assent to, but now I've, I've allowed it to become a heart, a heart belief, a heart agreement. And then the third step is an act of our will. I depend on that. I depend on that. When you believe on Jesus Christ, it's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe. There are many people who will wind up and spend an eternity in hell because it's, oh yeah, I just believe. I believe. I believe. It's very common. And Satan gets us to miss heaven. And this isn't, this isn't emotional talk, but literally gets us to miss heaven by 18 inches. It's right here, but it's not here. It's not something we've made personal. Heart belief is, true belief is something that involves every facet of us. My mind, my heart, my will, I depend upon this. I rely upon this. But pardon can be rejected. And so Paul says in verse number 40, beware therefore. The same force that he said, know this, he says, beware. Beware. Perhaps you're here today and you need to hear nothing more than the words, beware. Lest you walk out and you continue on with your life and neglect and refuse the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and spend an eternity apart from him in hell, beware, beware. Lest that come upon you, which was spoken to the prophet, and he's talking about those that despise, and you say, nope, not for me. That's exactly what that generation was doing. And in verse number 42, they stood up and they walked out of the synagogue leaving the Gentiles there who said, yes, we want to know more, and the Jewish people, God's own people, whom he came to, rejected it again. Right in the Antioch of Pisidia, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The one that he used, he chose, all the way back with Abraham, he chose them to be a light to the world and through which to send the Messiah, and they were the ones that stood up and they walked out the door. We don't like this message. Oh, my. Pardon can be rejected. You can reject Jesus Christ today. You can sit in church every Sunday and reject Jesus Christ. Because salvation isn't about sitting in church or having a Bible or having some Christian friends 
or having some Christian parents, or being, uh, having been baptized at some point in your life, Christianity, true salvation, comes to those who have completely believed and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Don't turn Jesus away. I'd like for you to turn there, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. New. New of a different kind. Not just a, a renovation, but a whole rebuilding. New. Second Corinthians 5, verse number 20, uh, 21. Would you read this out loud with me? Ready, begin. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want you to consider that verse. I want you to, I want you to meditate on that verse. Because Paul comes all the way down to this. He preaches Jesus Christ and he helps them understand if you believe in him, you will get all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You'll be made right in Christ. Yet so many times people miss what is going on here. They think, well, coming to, uh, coming to Jesus Christ is about turning over a new leaf, and it's about, it's about being a better person. No, it's about a great transaction, and I hope, I hope that God will give me the ability to just wrap this up for you this morning. And whether you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior here this morning, or whether you've known him for many, many years, I pray that God will, will touch your heart, and he will minister to you and help you to realize the phenomenal love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we can look around us and find all sorts of hate and all sorts of problems in our life, but you look at Jesus and he is a phenomenal, beautiful individual. This verse just so sums it up, for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want you to think of your life. There's not a file cabinet up in heaven per se. There are records in heaven, though. There is a record the book of life, in which believers' names are written. Those that are not written in the Lamb's book of life will suffer an eternity in a place called hell under the righteous, loving judgment of our God. You say, well, wait a minute. How, how can this be? be God made a way for you to escape. But because he is so righteous, that he did because he's so loving, because he's so holy, he must, he must judge sin. But I want you to think about that, and I, I trust your, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I want you to think about this idea of your life's records. Uh, I want you to think about your, uh, your sins. I know that's ugly. I, I, it's, it's awful to think about the things that we've committed against the Holy God. Not a one of us in here has one leg up on someone else. But just w imagine with me for a moment that in heaven there's a file box with your your name on it, your life's records, and it's there, it has that information in it. I want you to think about for a second what happened the day that Jesus Christ died on, your cross, on the cross. In your, uh, in your record, in your file, go to a doctor's office, they pull out your file. It's all your information in it. Some of it's in the cloud now, so it's all out there, right? You know, it's just, and it's, it's, it's shareable all around. But think about this. Sins like murder, 
You know that God says that even our hatred towards one another is murder? Wow. Things like, this one gets me, but white lies. We really need to stop using that. It's just lies. We categorize black lies. We, we say, it's a really bad one. No, there's, there's all lies are lies. And before God, they're grievous to him, not because, not because we, we have a tendency to rate them, but God is a God of truth and without iniquity. So even the smallest mistruth, even the smallest lie is an affront to his character. What about adultery? Before you get too hasty, Jesus kind of clarified that with the Pharisees. If you even think about the act toward another woman that's not your spouse, guys, you've committed adultery in your heart. That goes both ways. Wow. My God saw all that? Yeah. Fornication. Our culture is rampant with fornication. It's glorified on TV. It's glorified. You are weird if you keep yourself pure. Our children are growing up in that. Does God notice? Yeah. Sodomy. Our culture is beginning to embrace that. Here, if even Christian leaders leading, leaving their spouses for a homosexual relationship, you think about all the sins that are in our file folder, or some of you that were in your file folder. Pride. Oh, that's that's just pride. No, pride was the first sin. And from it, every other sin flows. Every other sin. Unbelief. Revelation 21.8 starts out with the sin of unbelief as being the reason that people go to hell. I won't accept that. Those that walked out of the, out of the synagogue that day, not for me. Unbelief. What about coveting? Oh, well, that's just an American tradition. Black Friday is coming up. I need that 155-inch TV. Our culture is rampant with coveting. Do you know Jesus, Paul told the church that coveting when it's found in the church, is something to be addressed by church discipline. In other words, the church coming together, admonishing that person between one person and that person, between two people and that person, and then if it gets to the point where they're not listening, that, that coveting was so serious within the church that it needed to be dealt with in a public way if they didn't repent. You see how far away we've come from biblical Christianity? Stealing. 
bad. There's like white stealing, there's black stealing, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's a slide on this whole thing. Yeah, taking something that's not your own is, is stealing. So, you could take all these and you could describe them as your sinfulness before God. What makes us deserving of hell is not our individual sins, but the fact that by nature we are sinners. We are sinful by nature. The moment you hear that Jesus Christ came into the world and to die in your place for your sins as righteous, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The moment you hear that and begin to say, huh, he's righteous, I'm not. And the moment you come to him and begin allowing him and, and believing on him as the only way to have forgiveness of sins and the only way to, to have eternal life and begin to realize that he wants to take all of your sin and your sinfulness, your past sins, your present sin, your yet future sin, all being nailed to the cross on him who knew no sin. All of it. Taking the wrath of God, three hours of darkness, so much so that the Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All of it. And when you allow God to take your file folder, all of your sin, all your sinfulness, your sin nature, and allow Christ to receive the punishment for it, and you believe on him, do you realize what happens? A great transaction. Righteous Christ becomes sin for you. So that, this gets me, so that Jesus can go replace what is in your account before God and replace it with Christ's righteousness. Nevermore will you stand before God for all of your sin. I want you to get a hold of this. He took it there. There are some believers who walk around with the weight of their past on their, their back. I want you to know Jesus does not look into your, God does not look into your file folder and, and look, oh, look at all that sin. He sees Christ's righteousness alone there. It's gone. And yet Satan throttles and mutes Christians day after day in our society. He takes away their confidence. He takes away their boldness and witness because they're still thinking, I'm going to stand before God because I, I murdered, because I committed adultery, because I tell lies, because I, because I, because I. It's all been punished in its fullness at the cross. And the only thing left inside your record box before God is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, go walk in that. Stop allowing Satan to beat you up with what you've done in the past. It's forgiven. It's under the blood. And if this is new to you this morning, can I ask you this morning to accept this great transaction? By belief, believe on Jesus Christ who is righteous. Allow him to take all of your sin at the cross so that in your file today, if there was a file in heaven, Christ's righteousness could be placed. The Bible puts it in another way. He robes us in robes of righteousness. Why? 
Because he loves you. How could the world reject this if they see us fully understanding it and walking in the reality of this and, and basking in the joy of what God has given to us? We sing saved by the blood. Do you realize that's exactly what, that's exactly what happened? He took my sin. And righteous. Say, well, pastor, I sin and I still do bad things even as a Christian. Friends, it's a totally different relationship. You no longer stand and are, are, have a relationship with a judge who was God. You have a relationship with a father who, if you will, applies a fresh coat of blood. But the fact is you will never stand before God. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. None. It is not possible for you to stand before God for your sinfulness as a believer. It's gone. Now, I am convinced that Satan, he, he is so shisty, he is so crooked, he is so deceitful, he is the accuser of the brethren, and he comes in to churches just like ours, and he, he sucks the power right out because he causes us walk around with the guilt of our past on our backs. I encourage you with everything I can encourage you with, would you allow God to just... Settle in your heart once and for all. It's under the blood. It's taken care of. You stand redeemed before um, for God. His righteousness is in your account. It's done. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made complete, made the righteousness of God in him. That's our God. Where are you this morning? If nothing else, praise him. That just leaves you like, oh, just praise him. Oh, that the world would see a bunch of people whistling as they, they go down the aisles realizing that, hey, my sins are redeemed. It's under the blood. It's taken care of. May the world see the joy of the Lord on our face because of this great transaction. If you've not received it yet, receive it. You do not need to go on in your sin. And I call you to that this morning. Would you bow your heads? Total forgiveness in Christ is good news. Paul said to them, I'm declaring to you glad tidings, good news. Our world needs good news. You need good news. And this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. Have you believed on Jesus Christ alone? Has that transaction happened in your life? Are all of your sins forgiven? Have they been taken from you and placed on the cross, so to speak? Have you received the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Have you received eternal life? You say, Pastor, I'm, I know for certain that transaction has been made. I gladly lift my hand to that. I have been saved. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Could I see your hands high? Praise the Lord. Amen. Put your hands down. Mm. What a transaction. Maybe you couldn't raise your hand. I don't want you to feel bad. We've all been at the exact point. And it's at that point that God has brought you today to this service in this place in 2020 to help you to understand that transaction could be yours today. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need that. Without anyone looking around, would you be willing to just admit that with a raise of your hand? I need that. I, I, 
I want that. Is there anyone like that this morning? Just lift up your hand and put it back down. I'll not point you out, but I do want to know that God's working in your heart in that way. I need that transaction to happen. I want Jesus Christ to take all my sin. I want his righteousness. I want the forgiveness of all my sin. Is that you this morning? I want you to know this. Here at our church, this is what we're all about. Because that's what Jesus is all about. And that's not a lofty statement. We want to be about that. That's something we're, we're striving towards. And we want to help you more than anything. So we will take, after the service, we'll take as much time as you need to answer any questions you have to help you understand how this transaction can be yours. Maybe you have more questions. That's fine. That's fine. It's fine. But would you let us, would you let us know so that we can help you? Say, Pastor, I do need that. I have more questions, but I do need that. Anyone else? I have a, just give it one last chance here. Anyone, I need to receive Jesus Christ. I want that transaction to be mine. Put your hand up and put it back down. I wonder, believer, do you have confidence? Are you living with confidence that your sin is gone? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, have you been living in shame and guilt and struggling? Have you been muted by Satan because you're, you're thinking, I still will stand before God for this? Is that you today? You say, Pastor, God spoke to me specifically and really encouraged my heart with this truth. Would you give testimony to that with an upraised hand? Amen. Amen. Isn't it a great truth? Praise God. Now here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to spend some time in prayer. We're going to stand. I'm going to invite you to the altar or there to kneel at your seat. And I would like you to take some time in prayer. Either thank him or just, just say, God, I accept this to be absolutely true and I see it from your word. Would you stand to your feet with me? Father, we pray that all across the auditorium, those that need to be saved this morning, that need this transaction to happen, Lord, I pray that they will give them the courage to step out and to take care of this today, to let us know, to uh, allow us to help them. Lord, I pray for believers who are struggling under the weight of their past. I pray that you would help them to release that this morning. Once and again, uh, afresh, realizing it's all, been, uh, it's all been punished at the cross. I pray for them this morning. And I pray that great liberty will be ours in, in you this morning as a result of this, this message that you gave through the Apostle Paul. We thank you in Jesus' name. Would you, with your heads bowed, let's have an attitude of prayer. Would you pray? Could I invite you believers to come to the, the altar and pray, find a place to pray this morning? Oh God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.